Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bone to Pick. I am Michael Davis. We are coming to you today from Astoria, Queens in New York City. And we are indeed very fortunate today to have the opportunity to sit down with two of the shining stars of the brass and jazz world anywhere, anywhere in the world today, the great Elliot and Brad Mason. Um, both hail from Norwich in the UK. Both attended the Berklee College of Music on full scholarships. They've gone on to become in-demand session players and jazz artists here in New York City. Uh, they are the leaders of the Mason Brothers Quintet. Um, we will talk about that at uh, great length during the interview. They are on the faculty at Northwestern University in Chicago. Uh, Elliot is a member of the Venerable Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra. And uh, combined, their touring, performance, and recording credits read like a who's who, who's who of the music industry. Uh, and includes, just to name a few, John Mayer, Wynton Marsalis, Eric Clapton, Diana Ross, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, John Schofield, Willie Nelson, Randy Brecker, Joe Zalino, Paul Simon, Chick Corea, Maria Schneider, Bobby Hutcherson, Kenny Garrett, Joe Lovano, and Chris Potter. And the list goes on, but I'll stop right there. Um, I have been a fan of these two gentlemen for many, many years, and uh, in my estimation, they lead uh, one of the most energized, virtuosic, brother-led groups since the great Brecker brothers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So, Elliot and Brad, thank you so much for taking time out of your guys' schedule to be with us on, uh, on Bone to Pick today. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah. And uh, I should mention that Elliot was gracious enough to uh, allow us into his beautiful home to shoot this interview, so we, uh, we appreciate that as well. So. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right in and talk about your formative years growing up in Norwich in the UK, which I understand is about 100 miles north of uh, London or of something London. like that. London, yep, yep. Well, both, both our parents are jazz musicians. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting for us growing up, you know, and uh, our father's our teacher up until when we left for college and he plays trumpet and trombone. So that's obviously where we get that <laughs> from. And our mother's a jazz vocalist. So, um, so we started very young and I think it was more from, from our choice of our curiosity of the, the shiny metal objects in the forbidden room. <laughs> that, uh, you know, if you, if you ever want to get yourself, if, you, if you're young and you want to get yourself a, a, a horn, you know, go, go play with dad's prized possession for a minute and see what happens. I think the next day we had like a $15 trumpet for, for each other, us, you know, so that we were playing around with our own horn instead of my dad's Mount Vernon bass trumpet or something like that. Um, so that's, that's how it kind of started. I think we were about four or five. Um, both of us that we, we kind of started on trumpet and I changed to trombone when I was about seven mm. and that was more my dad's decision at that time uh, he thought my embouchure was more suitable for, for trombone and I also think he he was smart he didn't want us fighting for the same gigs and mm -hmm. you know so we so we you know I ended up switching on the trombone I had resentment for a few years <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thank him a lot now <laughs> I don't. No, but in all seriousness, that's a, a, a very wise move, actually, it seems like. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, like I said, there was, there was some resentment there. I was like, wait a second, why, why aren't I playing the cool-looking one? Like, you know, but now I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I love the trombone. I'm so glad that that was the instrument that, that I ended up staying on. And, and I'm, I'm really appreciative that he, he, he saw that and kind of, you know, all right, let's 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 get them off the same instrument. You know, pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. And for you, Brad, you feel it must have been great having a father who played 
like both yes. trumpet and trombone, so getting that kind of insight. It was fant yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, just being able to uh, to hear him play those instruments, and then you know, as you st you, st you start out young, hearing that and looking up to idolizing him playing, and and then he played these records of Dizzy Gillespie and. Uh, Harry James and Chet Baker, mm -hmm. and uh, be like, wow, that's that sounds cool. I want to, I want to do that. I want to play that, you know. And uh, it was great. We always had music on in the house. You know, it was it was a great environment. You know. Yeah. And that yeah, went went. That's that's one thing that you know I look back on. It's like there was always music on, and whether right. whether we were listening to it, or whether someone was practicing it. Or, you know, it was, it was on constantly. So, I mean, you just... And, and then, you know, when I look back at it, at one point I was like, oh, man, we used to sit down at the dinner table and we'd still talk about music. It would be more, you know, it's like, can we just talk about something else, like, you know, soccer or something other than music? But now we look back at that like, wow, what, what an environment it was and how it definitely carved, you know, our... Our just thought process and just the, the the way the way that we went through, um, just thinking about music from an early age. Yeah. There's just seems to me there's no substitute to being uh, exposed to that at such an early age. I know talking to Randy Brecker about the same thing. His dad was a piano player and was introducing them to music all the time, so they were hearing all this stuff and and making friends with guys coming mm -hmm. through Philadelphia. And I'm sure somewhat to you guys and. And, you know, we focused a lot on your dad, but it's got to be to your mom as well. Like having a jazz vocalist and hearing her sing, it's right. got to be a tremendous uh, yeah. a way to approach I, music as well. I mean, she was gigging while she was pregnant, too. So, <laughs> so, so we, yes. <laughs> we were spending time, I guess, uh, checking out some jazz standards before. Yeah. We yeah, were. and they would, of course, you know, they would play music while while, while she was right. pregnant, and but they had a good they had a good teaching relationship because Dad kind of gets all the credit for being the, the teacher, uh -huh. but she was like, you know, it's the good cop bad cop of like she was like <laughs> the drill sergeant. <laughs> no one's gonna see this, right? <laughs> but they, you know, there's a <laughs> just for you, still oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> they, she was, you know, she was more the drill sergeant as far as like, okay, well, you know, you got to get up and. Practice your piano and your scales, and you know, practice your horn before you go to school or afterwards. And so between them, they they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly, you guys have uh, done amazing things. So uh, that upbringing had to have a, a huge part of it. So that's uh, very cool to hear that. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about, and I think, you know, we're faced with it all the time now in the U.S. Our, our music programs at the high school level being cut back and trimmed back because of budgetary concerns and so forth. It seems pretty healthy to me when I've been over to the UK a number of times and given workshops and, and whatnot and, and very kind of thriving music education scene. Before we kind of jump ahead to your guys' collegiate years, I was wondering if you could talk about that, um, how you felt about, outside of obviously the home environment, which was incredibly uh, rich and, and nurturing uh, as far as music goes. How did you feel in terms of, did you feel maybe there was an advantage to growing up in the UK looking back on it now in terms of the, the exposure and the education you got at kind of that high school level? Well, we, we actually, I feel we were pretty lucky because we played most days. Uh, we found there was something that we managed to play, mm. <clears throat> play in ensemble-wise from, um, I mean, our high school had a, a jazz band, which was great to play and great fun to play in. And gave us the ability to kind of stretch a little too and start improvising and learning some tunes. And they had, you know, I guess a little bit like the States here too, they had 
a national big band, like it's called Niger, National Youth Jazz Orchestra, uh, where people would come around from the whole different parts of the UK, and they would come down on a Saturday morning, and they would uh, they would rehearse together, do original music. You get a chance to meet guys that you know, fantastic players from all over mm-hmm. the UK that would come down. You know, the same age groups in between, you know, teenagers, mostly teenagers. And so there was a lot of opportunities in the UK. And high, high school level, though, too, I feel like we all, all the high schools have an orchestra, right? Yeah. And, mm. and now more like a jazz band, too, or a jazz big band. And we had, we were lucky as well. We got to play in a, a, a big band that our parents were in, too. And um, we played Glenn Miller music. You know, we'd start off, I mean, we, we, we had a, a, a pretty full schedule mm. growing up most evenings of the week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't know if I would say advantages, but I mean, like, like Brad said, there was, there was some key elements there that, uh, that I felt were, were really, really helped us. Mm-hmm. And like, the, I mean, the schools, our, our music instructor at our high school, the last gig that we did at um, the Norwich Jazz Club, when we were, were back, at, back at home, you know, seeing the folks and we just mm-hmm. hooked up a little gig there, like he came to that gig. So... Mm. I mean, just to show the kind of the kind of love that he the had nice for music of yeah. like, yeah. you know, so, so there, was the, there was some key people there and, you know, that, that definitely helped us. And of course, like things like brass bands is big in, in the UK. So, sure. so there's, there's that kind of writing. There's, I mean, I feel like people on the horn, uh, I mean, some great teachers and we were, we were fortunate to, to be kind of taken under their wing of a few guys in mm-hmm. London while we were doing the National Youth Jazz Orchestra and people like Mark Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Um, and Get to hang out and play with some, you know, some very talented, you know, amazing musicians on their horn. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark was great to me, actually. I mean, he, I think the first time he heard me, he kind of like invited me around his house. And, and then we, we ended up just like listening. He burnt me a whole load of tapes at that time. Yeah, that says how old I am. Cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> he burnt me 78 records. But, uh, you know, so he burnt me, he burnt me tapes of, you know, because I was into Rossellino, Fontana, Watrousse, and all, all these people, you know. So he was like, oh, have you heard this? Have you heard that? So, he, I mean, that, that, that kind of um, love for it right there, I really, mm-hmm. really appreciate that. And I mean, you know, there were some other great people like Don Lusher. You know, mm, sure. You know, so, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other there's other people that um, definitely influenced me um, just from their playing in you know in the in the country and 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 there was you know we I was just thinking about like some things that we won like we won a competition like we won a couple right. of competitions Dance competitions and for the for the actual prizes of those was to study at a jazz camp. Where it was the top mm. London guys there, mm-hmm. and like Mark was there, Pete Beechel, and I mean, who was on trumpet right there? It's like uh, Steve Waterman, Steve, yeah, Steve Waterman, Henry Lowther. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, some of the guys that I mean, the top, just, basically the top London guys you got mm-hmm. to hang out with mm-hmm. for a week and you know play, socialize. It was a great environment. That's sure. very. Is that was that the uh, the Daily Telegraph award that, that you guys da- won? That was the yeah. Daily Telegraph, which yeah. I should mention uh, specifically. They both in the same year. You guys won in different age groups, right? The Daily Telegraph yeah. Young Jazz Soloist Awards. Yeah. yeah, we we were kind of bad actually. What we did was, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I won it first. I was seventeen and I and I entered it and and I, um, 
got lucky and won. <laughs> um, and then uh, the next year, Elliot did the same thing and he won. And then the following year, we both entered different categories, different age categories. They had like a under 17. They had like two different categories. They had a, a 21 and out to enter, so we kind of switched the categories. <laughs> and, but, but only because... It, we we really, just had a great time at the Wavenant course. This, this camp was amazing. Again. And so, you know, so we managed to get there together on the, the third time or whenever it was. And... And, you know, it's just, so, I mean, th those kind of things for us, I think, were, were really key. Uh, those are some great, uh, great experiences. Thanks for sharing that. And I think uh, just to echo what you said, I think Martin Mark Nightingale is uh, one of the, to me, he's one of the best trombone players anywhere in the world. One of my favorite people also. He's just a Absolutely. wonderful guy and an incredible musician, great writer. And just like uh, you see, you know, you guys have carried on this tradition of amazing musicians from the UK. So uh, it's uh, nice, nice to hear that uh, that Mark was uh, so kind to you in the in, in the beginning years like that. It's sure. awesome. Yeah. Well, let's jump ahead now and talk a little bit about uh, your time at Berkeley. And I know we were speaking before the interview. I have a, a special passion for it. My my oldest son, who's a freshman at Berkeley, and, and absolutely loving it. And I'm just seeing it through his eyes. It's an amazing school. Of course, it's been around for a long time. We've all know about it. The the alumni list. You guys at the top of the list, but it's uh, unbelievable how many great musicians have gone there. But anyway, I know you guys both went on full scholarships. Obviously, they wanted you to be there. What was the experience like for you at Berkeley and then also just being around the community in Boston there? For me, it was fantastic. It was uh, just, I mean, there's so many uh, great, great musicians. You're, you're around constantly and, and, and playing with, getting a chance to shed, to practice with. The teachers, uh, it's just a huge faculty of great, you know, some jazz legends that were there. And being able to, uh, for, me, for me though, the biggest thing I got out of it was um, finding specific teachers, someone like Hal Crook, a trombone mm -hmm, player, uh, Ed Tomasi, uh, these guys really just fine tuning and, and, and figuring out like certain parts of improvisation that I really wanted to work on and really like study and, and, and develop. And, uh, and then also the people that you're there with, like the, the alumni now, the friends that you make, it's mm -hmm. like those people I bump into and work with constantly. And it's those friendships and those um, relationships that I think that's key. It's one thing that's, that's special about that school because mm -hmm. it's such a vast, plus it's such a vast, it's not just jazz, it's MP&E. You know, music production, engineering, business, you know, you've got such a vast um, yes. amount of subjects at the school that, uh, you know, you meet people from all of those, all, all over those, you know, constantly, you know, friends, alumni around the city, wherever you work. It's really impressive to me, not to cut in front of you, Elliot, but... Uh, uh, just seeing the faculty that you can jump around to, you know, it's right. not just one teacher or two teachers you're going to have for four years. Right. You're going to be able to get resources from, just like you just mentioned, I mean, various people on every aspect of playing. It's really a right. And also not, not playing, too, like right, right. aspects of like being able to like, okay, I want to study um, contract law, like mm -hmm. law on contracts. So, you mm -hmm. know, just that, that it's all offered there. Everything's there, mm -hmm. you know, like learning pro tools, learning finale, like you said earlier. Mm. It's like you can learn all of that part and, and be versatile in the music industry. Mm. Yeah, and I, th I was really lucky because I had 
this guy. The head <laughs> is like, <laughs> I'm very happy you, th- you look at it that way. Finally, give me some credit. I, I, I had, you know, my taster that was tasting stuff for me and telling me what tasted good by the time I got there. So, so you know, but because Brad's you know, a couple of years older, so so when I went out there, I actually went out when I was 16, but when I was there, um, you know, Brad was telling me, okay, so. Get with this. Get with this teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, do this class, and all of the names that he mentioned: Hal, Ed, Tomasi, and you know, just you know, if you can just don't do don't the forget. class without him. Don't forget you know, Phil Wilson too. Phil, Phil Wilson, was there. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was Tony Lada, yeah. and you know, so uh, you know, it was just it was it was really for me like I had his guidance to 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 help me through it, and I think. In a school like that, it's a great school, but that where there's so many things that I really appreciated of like, okay, do this, you know, mm. make sure that you spend time for that. So, so that that was that was great help. Yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. All right, let's uh, let's kind of shift gears a little bit, and and you guys are now such a part of the New York fabric. I mean, you're established veterans, but still very young men, uh, and still uh, doing amazing things and interesting things all the time. But maybe if you could take us back a little bit into what it was like moving to New York, the feelings you had then, and, you know, even good and bad, it can share whatever you feel like sharing about uh, those, those <laughs> early years in, in New York right. City, which can be, for all of us, a, a difficult time. But I know a lot of people, seeing the amazing success you have, would love to hear, you know, what it was like for you at the beginning of your time as a professional. Right, real. I mean, it was real. It was real, yeah. And it still is. But I mean, you know, just that those, when when I graduated, I moved to New York and Brad had actually moved a year before and I was kind of still, I was half in New York and half in Boston finishing off my last year. So, but when I actually moved, it was like my horn and one suitcase. That's all mm. I had. And, and very little money. And uh, so, you know, we, we had one contact um, that we actually met. This is a great thing about another competition. We, we met through another competition here, um, the, the Frank Rossellino Awards. Mm. That, mm. So I was fortunate to, to get that, and, I, and I, met, I met a contact, and we moved here, and, and we ended up staying with him in a basement, in his basement. And, um, and when he ended up moving out, we ended up taking over the basement. But, you know, that was... Rough times, you know, but it's the, the usual, the usual, the story that you hear of, you know, it's a one bedroom, it's not sure. much light, it's a massive health, ha- health hazard, you know, so, you know, but, but at the same time, the rent was, was really good. So it enabled us, yeah, it enabled to, us to, to be here with, with, you know, not so much stress for the first, you know, couple of years, financial yeah. stress. Right. You know, if we you could know. just make that rent. And also, so we had, um, we had time to, to work on our craft and, and, Right, and we would practice together. I mean, we 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 were in that apartment for how long? Well, we don't disclose numbers, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it. I mean, at least eight years. At least eight years. Yeah. And so uh, we. I mean, we would practice together. I mean, every day, like more or less every every day. At that point. we'd have our own time, but we'd also come together to practice. So, I mean, we, that time. Know, I mean, we. I, mean, I look back on that now, and it was, you know. It was the most playing we were doing. We, I mean, we were literally playing standards and playing originals, writing, improvising with the lights off, just doing, you know, just creating more or less every day. Every day, yeah. So, that. And that so was our inspiration, you know, to keep pushing ourselves, you know, forward. But if I backtrack a little, I, my first year, and this is, this is actually, um, 
my first year, I, I worked at JNR Music World in the CD department there. Sure. I spent my first, I had a day job. I got up every morning, was you know down to City Hall by nine o'clock. Sure. Uh, and then that, I mean, my CD collection grew immensely. But actually, that was the first time I heard you. I heard you on a, uh, I think it was a Philip Sace record. Oh, yeah, sure. I think it was Chris Bodie, yourself, and uh -huh. Snitzer, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, you played a beautiful thing. It, it stayed, stay with me, a beautiful little solo on one oh, of those. Thank one of, you. I think the first track on the record was Killing. Yeah, thank you but, very much. Um, that, uh, that part, I'll, I'll always remember that part of my life because I was earning this certain amount of money and I was happy with it. And then I, I did my first club date. And I was like, wow, wait, I can earn more than I did the whole week just doing that club date. <laughs> and I used to take my horn every day and I, I practice, I have a one hour lunch break and I practice, um, you know, 30 minutes of that lunch break. I play my horn every day down in the back stock room. Um, but uh, that first year of my, of my life in New York, I really like, it was, it, it made me realize and appreciate like everything else that has gradually come, you know. Mm. It's going, I think back to those days, and I was like, yeah, it's, you, you put in the time, the effort, you work hard. Well, yeah. well said. That's really nice. Thank, mm. Thanks for, for sharing that. And it must have been an amazing, and you guys just said it, but it's like the, the support group that you gave each other, both personally mm. and musically, because we all know how that first year or two can be, and you're just right. doubting yourself, and is this going to work, and should I get out, you know, whatever your thoughts might be. Um, in the darker periods of time, but uh, having each other to, you know, musically and, uh, and uh, personally, is, that's a great stuff. Well, it wasn't long before uh, amazing things were happening. And uh, let's talk about 2007, because I noticed in reviewing for this uh, interview, what a year, uh, Brad, you got with John Mayer. And uh, Elliot, of course, you got the position with the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. So, um, Elliot, maybe you could start and talk about that. And you, of course, are still with them. It's one of the great uh, jazz ensembles anywhere in the world and, and certainly probably the most high-profile uh, position. So uh, that must have been quite a thrill to, to get, land that uh, gig. Absolutely. And, and it was kind of a call out of nowhere for me because, I mean, I had played with a few of the guys from the band but Winton himself didn't know of me, as far as I knew. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'd, I'd maybe I might have, like, walked through a couple of rehearsals, but not, but I, I mean, I really wasn't in that scene at all. So um, I didn't even realize that there was a spot open. Um, and then uh, I think Vincent, or one of the trombone players, recommended me. And so I just came in and did one one thing. So there was, like, no blowing for the first thing. It was just just reading the parts and, you know, just playing. And, and so I came and did this one thing. Then I got called for the next thing, which was like a week long. And then I think there was like eight bars on Cherokee at some point, you know. So <laughs> there wasn't much blowing there either. And then, um, and then after then, I, I, I got called for a tour. And then that was more stretching and playing. And then after then, I got, I got asked to join the band. So and looking now, you know, now I've heard the behind the scenes where Winton was like asking the trombone players, like, who do you want? Who do you want? And they, and they both ended up saying my name. So I'm really, I'm grateful for both of them. So, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been amazing for me. I mean, and, and it's and it, like that year, you know, it's, we were so focused on our own stuff at that point, and then these calls suddenly came in. We both kind of it's, it's like, but we knew it's like it, it's 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 you know it's the you've got to do it. You got yeah, to do it, yeah. and and it and it's hard now at times to to 
to find time within our schedule to, to do our own thing, but we definitely are working towards trying to put that first for our time off that we have. Mm -hmm. and, and if anything, it's like Brad was saying with, uh, with living in the basement, but it does make, it makes you appreciate the time now that we get to play together. It's like, even if it's like a gig at the 55, a little gig, you know, that we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm free that night, you're free that night, all right, let's do that. Mm -hmm. That is, is for me, there's like some of, the, some of the, the real deep emotional, okay, I get to play with my brother again, you know, mm -hmm. I get to do this music, get to do that music. So, so I mean, I don't know if you, you feel the same way. I absolutely feel the same way, yeah. Right. I just wanted to say uh, one thing, echoing what you said, Elliot, because I've read what Winton says about you in the New York Times, which uh, has absolutely glowing things to say about you and your contribution to the band. So obviously, uh, they all made a very good choice, and it's you know you've, you're a very gracious and humble guy, and but but uh, they they uh, they struck gold as well. So it's kind of a match made in heaven, oh, it seems I like. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Um, but Brad, let's talk a little bit about your uh, year in 2007 and landing yeah. with John Mayer, and and just share any uh, thoughts you have about. Uh, about that gig and that times with John. Yeah, well, uh, saxophonist Bob Reynolds. Uh, we had, uh, Elliot and myself had actually been working with uh, Jessica Simpson before that, and we contracted the horn section uh, about 2005 uh, for her. It's like a demo thing she did with, with Dukes of Hazzard. The Dukes of Hazzard movie was coming out, so she mm -hmm. was doing some promo work with that. And we brought Bob on board for that, and... I think Bob reached out to me, you know, in 2007 to kind of say thank you. And also we had a good, good, uh, he was a Berkeley alumni as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a good uh, rapport playing wise. So he reached out to me in 2007. Uh, he was friends with John in, at Berkeley. They were friends together. And uh, he was looking at um, putting horns on the, or changing the horns on the road. And uh, Bob brought me in and we started January 2007, we started touring with his Continuum record, mm. and I, I love that record off the bat. I mean, it was to me, it was it was my favorite record of his, and uh, it'd been influenced a lot by the D'Angelo Voodoo record, and Roy Hargrove had done all the horn lines on the mm. record. It was it was awesome. So uh, we started um, in January, and we toured for about eight months, I think, the first year. And then we did a live uh, DVD at the end of that year, I think, and uh, called Where Is The Light? And John put together his three musical settings that he, he liked, like a, an acoustic, just him with an acoustic guitar, then um, his trio with mm -hmm. Pino and, mm -hmm. and Steve Jordan, and then the pop band with everybody. And recorded that in, a, in LA at the Nokia Theater. And... Yeah, we did probably about two and a half years as that unit of the band. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Well, you guys were uh, both rewarded that year for those uh, years of uh, that, trudging yeah. away and uh, get, getting in that the trenches. A, that was a calmer year. Yeah. <laughs> Good well, calmer year. Well, you guys, uh, you talked about the love of, of playing together and, and how that ends up uh, kind of being the, the anchor that sort of uh, keeps you going, you know, and, and having it. And I, I want to talk at great length about this because... Um, actually, I, I knew about this record, but my, my sons are, are both all over it all the time, and they're, they're huge fans of, uh, of both of you guys. So um, the, I, I became familiar with this, and everybody who doesn't have it should go check this out right away. It's called uh, Two Sides, One Story, Mason Brothers Quintet. Incredible record. Playing is spectacular. Uh, brilliant composing from both of you guys. Uh, an incredibly stellar lineup, Antonio Sanchez on drums, Dave Kukowski on piano, the great Chris Potter on tenor saxophone, 
Tim Miller on guitar, Scott mm -hmm. Colley on bass. Who am I leaving out? Joe Locke on vibes. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody. It's, yeah, it's, it's an incredible sounding record. And uh, James Farber, uh, engineered, right? Engineered, He's yeah. best in the business. It's, it's great. So anyway, I've talked enough about this incredible record. Tell me, tell me about the record. Tell us all about how it came about and uh, your process in terms of composing individually together. Anything you want to tell us about uh, well, it, I mean, it took a while for it to come together, didn't it? it just to get the stars aligned yeah. for, for the, the people that we'd envisaged, envisaged on, uh, on the record uh, to come together. It took, I mean, it took a moment to get all of us in the same place at the same time to record it. But writing-wise, I mean, we'd been writing... I mean, Elliot did more writing on the record than I did, but together we'd, we'd been writing probably about eight years from the beginning of the first tune boots maybe was how, how long yeah well it was it was interesting because we had written a lot of music for the band but at the same time we wanted this to be more of have some kind of sweet feel to it right where it wasn't just let's just pick what we think is the best tunes that we've written and put them on an album and then put them out. We wanted it to have an overall feeling of you kind of go through this whole journey of the album and you sit and listen to it mm -hmm. as, as it should be. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, um, you know, so, so that aspect of it um, was kind of, for us writing-wise, took, took the time because there was a couple of tunes that we, we had written together, like Boots, we wrote together. We wanted it to be within that style. Okay, well, uh, we, this, let's try and get something within this style. Um, and now let's think about different kind of turns that we can go from this tune. And so we kind of, we kind of went through it that way, where we were writing new tunes, but still within what the we felt like the album needed at that at that point. Um, and so writing writing together can be can be interesting because we did we did boots and we did a part of twenty four seven together. Right, right. And that's hard. That's, so I, mean, I mean, sometimes it's. Great, it's awesome. Other times, then you you find yourself both going in different directions, and then and kind of feeling okay. Well, then let's make a sacrifice here. Let's 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 figure out musically, you know, what's going to fit with the overall big picture mm -hmm. uh, of the record, and uh, trying to keep the compositions and thinking the compositions for the for the big picture of the record. But I, I mean, like writing together, I think we've had. No, I. I I mean, we've had some some good moments, and we've had some you know some, some tough ones, some tough yeah. ones, yeah. Where, but that's you know, but that yeah, that's, that's part that's of it. A, part of that's a relationship, you know. But but yeah, that so so that so that side of things, I felt like took some time, and then like Brad said, as far as well, we, we when we got together, we didn't we didn't want to just put an album out for the sake of putting an album out, and you know maybe looking back, it would it would it would have been nice at some key points where we actually had something, a good representation of us at that point. Right. to give to somebody but um but still it just felt a little uh cold just to have just this album out just because I, i've got to have something you know? mm -hmm. so so we really wanted we waited until we felt like we had something to offer not only playing wise but writing wise and then you know just in the big picture where i felt like okay this is uh we're ready to do this at this point so so it, it took it took a little while for us but but you know we're, mm -hmm. we're very proud of that that album and um and you know, just the fact that we could align the stars and get everyone that we had kind of written for. It was like it was like a movie where you you have a certain character in mind, a certain person that's like, okay, yeah, this this fits there. Because we played, we went to school with Antonio Sanchez, and we played with a, a lot of the guys before, but but we hadn't played with Dave Kokoski at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, we we listened to records with Dave on from. 
probably our teens, right, mm-hmm. with Bob Berg and, and just, mm-hmm. and just uh, I mean, loved his playing. And, yeah. just, um, and, and we always said, you know, if we record a record, we got to try and get this guy on it. And, uh, and for that writing, I mean, a lot yeah. of the writing is like, it actually had some of his influence. And, uh, right. and so, it, it, you know, it was, it was, he was like key for that as well. And we still say he is now for the, for the, for the other <laughs> one that we, we just actually recorded a, a live one, which we'll probably get into in a minute, but, Great. but, you know, so he, you know, he's, he's key, he was key to that as well. So, and then it was just, it was just great to play with Chris and just have, you know, these other Joe Locke and then Tim yeah, and just come cool. in and just blow and have fun. And I mean, if you look at the, there is like a little promo video, but you, the vibe of that is, was the vibe in the studio. Mm-hmm. We were just hanging out. All right, time to record. And then the mm-hmm. second the red light was on, it was just like, okay, I'm in heaven. So, I mean, it was, it, that, that was, that was great. That was really, really, really good for us. Very inspiring. And, um, well, it's super well done on every level, and and uh, and I love what you just said about it. it's it's really a body of work. It feels like you're it's a whole listening experience. It's not just taking a track and going, wow, that's a cool track. Now I'll switch over to you know. It's like you really feel like listening to the whole CD. And so I really encourage everybody to either get the CD or download the whole thing because it is a, an incredible uh, experience. Listening. And I just wanted to add one other thing. I think your bass trumpet playing is just spectacular as an individually, but the way you guys make it work together is just a really beautiful sound. And and the writing, from an orchestration standpoint, the writing you guys do for the trumpet and trombone is really, it's not always the easiest thing to make it work. And you guys, uh, it's seamless. It's really a beautiful writing. Well, thank, thank you very much. Let's um let's change hats a little bit here and talk a little bit about uh, your your role as educators in, in jazz education. I know you are becoming very prominent as uh, teachers, so maybe you could talk a little bit about, I know you're both on faculty at Northwestern. Uh, Elliot, you're doing some work at NYU. Maybe just share your philosophies. Obviously, you came from a very rich background in terms of mm-hmm. education from your folks and also what you got in London, as you mentioned earlier, but maybe you could share your kind of outlook and philosophies as far as uh, jazz education right now. Well, I, I mean, we're both, we're both really grateful to be on faculty at Northwestern. I think that has a great yeah. program there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's run by Victor Goins, the head of jazz studies. Um, and you, we, we get to, to visit the college maybe um, once every two weeks. So we fly in, we do our lessons, and um, sometimes we stay if we have it in our schedules to to, to, to maybe do ensembles or other things there, but mainly we're just obligated to do our lessons. And, and then we, so we're, we're, we're there every other week uh, in general, when our schedule permits, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we might have to do a little catch up here and there, but, but I mean, and you know, that, that school is, um, you know, it's like, we talk about how great Berkeley is and, and, and it is, and this is like on the other end of the spectrum where it's very selective, mm-hmm. it's a small program. Um, sometimes even good players might not get a call back from the from their audition. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it, it, it's it's a selective group of people, and 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 at the same time their path is more. They they're going to have to go through this this same path. You know, it's like they they know where they're going to end up. They know they're going to have to take this class, and it's and and in it, it's to each his own. It's what what you're looking for. So when someone asks me what I would recommend, I'd say. Go check the school out mm-hmm. and see what's right. best for you. Um, and you know, and I'm very, I'm very grateful to be a part of NYU as well, where their, their facilities are unbelievable. Their faculty is ridiculous, mm-hmm. and 
and just to be here in New York and uh, and and just uh, for me, I I love teaching when I'm involved with just talented students, and I, and I'm very grateful that right now I I have a lot of talented students. So for me, that inspires me. I I look at it as you know, it keeps me in check. I'm mm. like, you know, this is this is what's coming around the corner, so you you got to be ready for it. But um. And I, I, you know, if anything, I feel like I'm maybe too guilty of, um, of, of sharing. I mean, I, I, I would put them first before myself. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's like I, I, sometimes I feel like I actually need to step back and start working, get back to what, uh, you know, <laughs> I was working on, spend some time on myself. But, but at the same time, I'm very, very grateful to be, to be just um, a part of both schools and just to hear to hear some of those talented students coming through. Very cool. How about yourself, yeah. Brenda? So, I mean, the same thing. Mr. Goins, Victor Goins, um, brought me in on trumpet, and and the students there are, you know, there's, there's so much talent in, uh, I mean, academically, too. I mean, Northwestern's a very academic school. Sure. Yeah. And um, these are smart kids, and they're, uh, just the course in general that that, that uh, Victor's put together is, I mean, it's it's based around tradition. There's so much studying of tradition, and uh, I like that because that's where I mean you can go your own direction once you you know you get well schooled in the tradition. Um, but I think it's important to know that, mm -hmm. and and the Northwestern I think is it's about that. It's good. Mm, very cool. All right, well, we're brass players, so let's talk equipment for a little bit here. How can, how can we not talk equipment? Well, let's start off, uh, Elliot, with your signature horn, which is incredible looking here. And, and uh, I, as I said earlier, you sound great playing on a garden hose. So uh, the fact that you sound amazing on it is uh, you sound amazing on everything, but, but you sound particularly amazing on this, uh, on this instrument. It's um, designed by collectively between yourself and Michael Corgan uh, with BAC is his company, which I understand stands for Best American, American Craftsman. Craftsmanship. That's very it. nice, yes. very nice. Um, but anyway, share with us everything you'd like to share about, uh, about your signature horn and, and, and uh, availability, specs, all that kind of stuff. Sure, well, I mean, I'll tell you first how I actually ended up meeting Mike. Um, I was on the road with Jazz at Lincoln Center and he found out that I was going to be in his hometown, Kansas, um, I think it was like six hours before we were actually playing. So I got this email in the morning <laughs> saying, can I, can I bring you a slide to play? You know, so I was like, of course. <laughs> no, I don't want to play your slide. Don't build me anything. So, you know, so, you know, he, he brought this slide and he had gone, he said he knew of me and he'd gone to my website and he even did the, the small little crook that, that, that I was on at that time. And, uh, and he made this slide within 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 kind of uh, within six hours, and it was like the Frankenstein of you know it was like different parts of just put together and uh, but at the same time when I played it, I was like wait a second wait a second at that point I was on I was on my old Taylor Bell and I was on a King three B slide my dad Silver Sonic old three um, B slide and that to me, outplayed my King slide. And I mean, he just made it in six hours. So I was mm. like, okay, wait, wait, wait a second here. You know, <laughs> I think we might be able to work together on this. So, so we, um, that's when our relationship started. And from there, it's been about five, six years, maybe even longer 
um, we first started on the development of the slide and and you know we uh, right now I mean that that's been out for I guess three three maybe three years now and it's interchangeable where you can actually you can put a different piece in there and it can fit on any horn he can get whichever horn mm. so it's, it's not just made for this bell but so we started there and it's been a long process because I told him right from the beginning I was like you, you might have met your match right here because I'm going to, unless it's the best horn that I've ever played, we're not stopping. You know, but he liked that. Yeah. He liked, and you can obviously just see from his works. He's just, he's, he's a great worksman and his slide work is impeccable, amazing. So I can't say enough good things about Mike. But also, you know, we sat down with ideas of like, how can we bring something to the market? For me, I felt like that was number one like i said i wanted it to be the best horn that i played but also i wanted it to be in a slightly different category um and not just a rip of another horn mm -hmm. of like okay mm -hmm. well let me take you know a, a bark so and so and just you know change this around and now i've got my model i mean it's like so so this really is a hybrid and that's what i felt took a lot of the time um was to sit down and try and find something that actually it plays slightly differently but for me, I really like it. And so specs-wise, um, we're dealing with a 508 slide, and, and um, it's in gold brass right now. So it starts off with a feeling similar to, to a 3B. Um, so that's where we, we, we went from 500 to 525 dual bore. We tried the outer stockings in nickel, gold brass, copper. Mm. Same with the, the, the actual crook. Mm -hmm. We changed all different kinds of metals. And we ended up, for me, settling on the gold brass, even though the nickel is really nice response-wise. But I felt like the gold brass, I didn't lose too much of the response. And I did get the sound that I was looking for, which is slightly warmer. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where we started. Then from here, once we get into the neck brace, all the way going through to, to through the tuning slide is where things really start to expand and open up. And we're almost like buck 36 to buck 42 here. And then we're still opening up for the bell. So that as well with how we've shaped this, it's a really open feeling horn. But at the same time, it leans towards feeling like a small bore 3B but maybe a little bit more open in certain registers. I feel like it's more open in the upper and the lower register. Definitely the lower is huge. But um, So it was to try and ride that line between the feeling of a small bore, so I felt agile on it, mm -hmm. at this, but, um, but at the same time having the sound of the large bore. So it's, you know, it's trying, trying to get the best of both worlds. So that, it, took, it took some time. I mean, there's, there's lots... So many things that we encountered that I, I, that I learned so much through this journey, um, not only about the metals, but just how different you can shape the same pipe just slightly differently and have a completely different feeling of the horn. Mm. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So, so it, was, it was a long journey for me, but now this is available um, and Mike has just started pre-orders and it's, you know, if, if, you, if you can try one and you're always welcome in New York, if I'm if I'm around to come by and try one, it's it's worth trying because um, it's worth it's definitely worth saving for for me. It's it's like a it's, it is your sound, you know, mm -hmm. it, it defines you. So it's you know how how important an instrument is. Absolutely. Well, you can see the passion that you brought to it, just like you do to uh, your playing. I mean, you clearly exhausted every possibility, and uh, it's great. And 
And most importantly, it looks really cool. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was the most important thing that we went for. It's like, Mike, this doesn't sound good, but leave it on. It looks <laughs> great. It's totally shiny. <laughs> well, I look forward to checking it out. And, uh, and, and like uh, Elliot just said, uh, definitely uh, give it a try because it's, uh, it's a great instrument. And Michael's a great, uh, great craftsman, that's for sure. Brad, tell us a little bit about uh, your trumpet. You're on well, the, uh, the Taylor Chicago 46. And, uh, yeah. Tell us a little um, bit about that. I've been playing Taylor trumpets probably for about the last 15 years. Um, the trumpet, there's the Light 46. Um, it, I used to play the slightly heavier one, but this, this model seems to work a little better. It's not, not so... Uh, it, it fits into different musical situations better. Um, and the flugelhorn is beautiful flugelhorn. Andy mm -hmm. makes an amazing flugelhorn. A red brass bell, super dark sound. Um, valve block is fantastic and uh, then for more horn section stuff I play a Yamaha play a, an old school Bobby Shoe 6310 ZS the silver silver mm -hmm. model and um, that's great for just cutting when you need it to cut mm -hmm. and I switch between those two trumpets uh, I've been on GR mouthpieces now for about a year love them mm -hmm. really like the GR mouthpiece and I switch between the two as well. I have a deep one for jazz stuff and then a slightly shallow one just to cut the sound up when I need to bite through something. And yeah, that's kind of my setup. Um, I play EVI a little bit, an mm -hmm. electronic valve instrument. Haven't played that in a few years. I think it's <laughs> more than a little bit. Last yeah, time I remember it's hearing you. Yeah. more than that. Yeah, it, it was 10 years ago. It'd be like 10 years. Yeah. But, but that was uh, always, because you know, back to the basement days, when it got to that time where we were like, we got to stop playing, that's when we would switch. I, could, I would get on keyboard with my headphones and he'd be on EV. You know, put headphones on so you can still practice and, and play and, and create music you know, with headphones on. It's great. I mean, this is before the days of silent brass. And, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. But but what's what's interesting about Taylor is his 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 whole company is in our hometown. It's Norwich. in mm. Norwich. It's, oh, is that right? it's literally it was five minutes from our parents' house. Yeah. So we can fall out of bed and we, be there. So you know, every time we go back, we would stop by and just say hi and see what what, see what creation he's made. And, oh, how cool is that? So he's formed a good relationship from the awesome. from early age. Well, uh, I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity. You've done so much great stuff and, and big name stuff, but just just real kind of quick, if you had a couple of uh, experiences, a couple of projects that, that that you just felt like mentioning that you were as being very memorable to you and very important over the last few years. Yeah, for, well, for me, with Jazz at Lincoln Center, we we actually got to record and play a couple of um, a couple of concert series with Chick Corea, mm. and. You know, if you're familiar with the album, you can already tell that he's an influence, <laughs> a huge influence on us. We were, we would, we have like every one of his albums. So to to have him come in and not only play, but we recorded. We also, you know, just to play some of that music that we we were so familiar with. And um, and there was one time when we were actually on a jazz festival, and he wasn't. He was playing, I think, the next day, but he came to to check out Chess at Lincoln Center and of course we, we got him up to play and and then it was it was one of the tunes that I sold it on so I came out and just like standing next to him and playing it was like you know that 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 stuff for me like getting to play with someone who's had such an you know, influence on me my life my playing my you know, my musical vision sit there it was like my least it was like my least selfish solo I ever took. <laughs> I was like, I'll play three notes and just let, please, you know, compliment. So it was, you know, the way he was listening and playing, and it was, it was, 
really a highlight, really a highlight for me. Sure. Yeah. Oh, amazing, amazing. How about yourself, Brad? Anything jump out that uh, you feel um, like sharing? Or well, recently I've, I, I feel like um, I've been I've been lucky enough to work with Diana Ross and mm. and my my mom. I mean, we grew up. Mom was a huge fan of hers. Used to sing her songs, and uh, used to have you know her tunes playing as we were growing up. So to actually start working with a person that you, I, I mean, she's an icon. She's oh, of course. and seventy years old right now, and, and playing five. I mean, most of the weeks, five shows a week. So to be able to do that, I think. No, I, I really like and the horn writing too. Her her horn horn uh, arrangements. Uh, I I really dig it. Mm. I like it a lot, and that side of playing as well. It's different from, you know, horns, as, as you know, horn section playing is different from playing in a jazz quintet. The, the cutoffs, the bites of the, the note, making you know, I love that. I mm. love that side mm. of playing too, you know, playing. Uh, that that that's another thing that, of course, you know, there's another side of brass playing. Right. And he, Brad doesn't even know this, so he's going to catch him off guard right now. But <laughs> I bumped into someone that had just played in in a section with Brad like the the week before or so, uh, something like that at, at Jazz at Lincoln Center. He's like, man, I just played with your brother like last week. I was like, oh, yeah? So he was like the easiest person to play with in the section. You know, and I was like, that, that, that thing, that's, that's a whole other thing. You know, that's a whole right. other you know, aspect of brass playing. And, and my, you know, Brad definitely has that. So, I mean, not only playing within our stuff, but when we've done other styles, I've noticed that of how it's just easy just to, to play with Brad, and that's why I feel like he's he's really kind of made his name within those things of just being in those kind of sections. Mm. Yeah, well said. Well, I think that's well that goes out to every brass player in the world. I mean, that's you're absolutely right. That's a whole other skill set in terms of you know it extends itself. Of course, you guys are obviously very uh, sensitive musicians, and you're listening and reacting as you are right. as people. You know, it's always kind of an extension of your personality. That's a really important point, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Elliot. It's, it's, it's like, something that also we both talk about with our students, you know, being able to be versatile, being able to, you know, also, I mean, studying the music you love, but also studying stuff that, you know, you want to be able to work as a musician when you come out of college, and you want to be as versatile as possible, and you want to, you know, you, you've got to learn earth, wind, and fire horn lines. You've got to know these tunes yeah. as well to work. Yeah. You know, so it's it just... Being, uh, you know, checking, doing as much classical work as possible too. Just being versatile on the instrument, you know, I think it's yeah, really bringing important. That, bringing that to your pra practice regime, you know, because yeah. it's, it's hard. It's you know, every everyone's the same. You pick up your horn, you want to play what you want to play, <laughs> and what sounds good. You know, no one wants to actually sound bad. But but those are the days you know you're growing. Is when you, like when you when you're in that practice room and you're sounding bad. It's like okay. I'm working on something I can't do right now. And that's, right. that's the best thing. Yeah, that's the Dang. thing. The holes. The holes in your playing. And that's what I think I, I really try and, I, I try and stress to my students is, is that, yeah, well, okay, we're going to get to this. I know this is the good stuff. We yeah. are going to get to that. <laughs> but let's, you know, let's break it. Let's break it. Let's deal with fundamentals right now. And then let's, let's deal with this aspect of your playing. And then let's deal with the holes in your playing, what you're not good at. So we try and get more of a complete player in the, in the end result. But then we will get to this stuff. We will spend time on the, the, the stuff. And you have to make it fun while you're practicing as well. Mm -hmm. so, so you don't want to go too far the other way. You want to try and get, you know, so you have a whole... Uh, a broad spectrum. A broad spectrum of, 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 you know, of, of covering everything. 
So you can at least look forward to picking up the horn yeah. and saying, oh, I want to practice, but I know at the same time I'm going to cover everything. You know, they give yourself a little payoff at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. That pedal giant step. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's your payoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah what's, what's your head? <laughs> I was fortunate to do a clinic with the great uh, Gary Smalley, an amazing musician and baritone saxophone player. And he said it best, and I use this line all the time. Good, he says practicing, but I'll say good practicing is intentionally making yourself feel uncomfortable. And that's when I heard that, I was saying, like, that's yeah. exactly it, because I agree, you know, who wants to sound bad? But if you put yourself in that uncomfortable place, we right. all know what our weaknesses are. That's the only way you're going to really uh, right. jump ahead. But I got a couple more questions, guys. I could sit here all afternoon and talk to you. This has been an absolute uh, joy to, to share these uh, wonderful experiences. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what your goals and projects are for the future. I know you mentioned you got the live uh, CD mm -hmm. coming out, so maybe you could tell us about that and, and other things that might be on your on, on your dance card at this point. Well, we just recorded um, two nights at Dizzy's in September. Uh, we did four sets. And I think out of that, I think we're going to have a record. I think we've got something that, mm. you know, we're, gonna, we're, we're planning on releasing. Um, the band was close to the, the same band on, on the record, except uh, it was Matt Penman on bass this time and um, Jonathan Blake Jonathan on Blake. drums. Mm. Oh, just a great, great rhythm section. Kokoski again on piano, uh, Elliot myself. And the music this time um, came from a slightly different place. I mean, we, we, it's still influenced. It's still influences from the first record. But I think the music, I mean... I wrote something for my father. I wanted to write something for him, just to pay a little homage, you mm, know. And, nice. and Elliot and I wrote something for our grandparents, uh, which was, uh, which was. I mean, you can you can talk about that too. Yeah, I, I I feel this album is special to me because the writing comes from more of an emotional standpoint, and not right. that the first one didn't, but this is like even more thrown into like hundred percent emotion, you know. Mm -hmm. So we had my, my our grandmother passed away right before the, the the maybe two or three weeks before the actual live recording. So I was immediately starting to write something and that that turned like very emotional for me. And actually on one of the nights I was emotional while playing it and I'm sure that's gonna be the one that we're gonna the take that we're gonna use. So um so, so you know that that's where the, the writing came from, and also we we just wanted to add a little bit more diversity um, to to we we love the sweet feel of the two sides one one story, but at the same time it's like okay now if we go and just take that music to play, you know, let's add some diversity to that sound and expand upon it. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where kind of the writing came from 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 this live one and. Um, you know, like it's it's interesting because Brett says, "I think we have, I think we have something." <laughs> well, we, we still haven't really had a sit down a time, the two of us together, to sit down and and listen to the whole record and just see, you know, pick and you know, go through the tracks and pick what we would, you know, end up releasing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still uh, we're, we're hoping in the next couple of weeks we can do that just to make sure that right. we're. Because we've listened to it, you know, we've listened to it separately. We did one plane ride together. Yeah, plane we, ride, we're we listening to it, you know, and we're notes. like making notes of like, okay, I like that track, you like this track. But it's definitely harder when you've got two leaders, you know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, My solo was good on this one. My solo was good. No. Actually, you know what? It, we, we end up really not being like that right. because, I mean, there's, with, with two sides, it was... About the music. It more, was really about the music. We, you know, we sat down... Group just 
the selfish side of it just kind of got thrown out the window straight away. It just like sometimes it was just like we have to capture that moment. It mm -hmm. had nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. It's like this was a beautiful moment, mm -hmm. and this this has to be this. This is the take, mm -hmm. you know. And you know, so and we 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 didn't really do any overdubs at all in two sides. So it was more it was more about what happened happened, you mm -hmm. know. And we were in the studio, and so same with the the live thing too. I mean we. I mean, I, I like the fact that, you know, all right, this is a live gig and you kind of take these left turns and, and that's what happened. That's what you said. So, mm -hmm. you know, so, that's many, it. so many of our favorite records were live records too. And just mm -hmm. that rawness that you captured, we wanted to do something this time that was, you know, that captured that, that captured that rawness of a live record that, you know, live at the lighthouse with Elvin. It's like that kind of thing. Just, yeah. just that, just how it's just raw. You know, like right. that, but you know, not even not even about the music, but just the raw recording, and, and we wanted something, you know, something that we could do in that, you know, something that we could uh, just put out with us live, just going for it. And yeah. Just what happens, yeah. happens. Right. You know? And so wow. that, that should be called Chapter Two: Efflorescence. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> nice. So yeah, nice. hopefully that will be out soon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I, for one, am looking forward to that, and uh, I know everybody else will be, in the, mm. as we will for all the uh, the future things you guys uh, do as a quintet, and individually, I mean, uh, it's going to be fun uh, as a fan to watch you guys over the next uh, two, three, four decades, uh, hopefully longer. Um, as I always like to kind of end our interviews with, uh, with a kind of nod to young people, um, and I know especially with you guys, you've got a big fan base of, of young players in their, in their teens, and they look up to you guys, and uh, even, even old guys like myself, we look up to you and uh, the, you know, are inspired by the work that you're doing. Um, if there's one kind of thought that you could leave to a young person who's out there, it doesn't, maybe, it, maybe it could be a trombone player, maybe it doesn't even have to be a musician in a way, but obviously we're talking about music. But just maybe one thought you have that you could say to somebody, this is my one piece of advice I would give you as a young person uh, looking at music or looking at life, what, what might that be? I, I would say just try and be a, a good person, a good, cool guy. I try and say this to my students. I, all, the majority of the gigs that I, uh, I've looked back on and really had the best times on have all come from my friends. My friends have called me for them. And that's basically, I feel like you, you work with your friends. Your friends call you for gigs. So it's about making friends. It's mm -hmm. about being, trying to be a good guy, trying to be a nice guy. And, and just you know, making as many friends as possible. That's really what, what I try and say to my students. And remind myself too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. I've actually got nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, man, you know, I saw that question. I was like, you know what, maybe I'll talk about this and I'll talk about that. And I think I've already mentioned it. Like, so I really don't know what to say right now. So I, you know. Well, that's, that's fair enough, too. And you, you've actually, uh, both of you guys were very generous in, in the thoughts and, and advice that you gave throughout the interview. So it's, it's kind of redundant in a way. So, um, Guys, I really appreciate your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and get a chance to Likewise. talk to you. Likewise. And, and, uh, to meet you. It's great having you on the roster, and we look forward to everything you guys do in the future. Everybody uh, check out the Mason Brothers Quintet when they're playing in your neighborhood, Jazz at Lincoln Center, all the projects Brad is involved with, and uh, we will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick. <laughs>